at One Day University. We feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly scholar newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U.com. Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. I'm Pamela Clark, founder and director of the New Heights Educational Group. And I'm here with David Smith, the founder of Silicon Valley High School, who has helped us get these podcasts produced and delivered to you. Yes, Pamela, when we saw the great things that you and your army of volunteers were achieving at New Heights, we wanted to get involved. We're happy to work with you to leverage the internet and make quality education accessible and affordable to everyone, everywhere. Thank you, David. We appreciate Silicon Valley High School helping us to get these podcasts out to the hundreds of thousands of listeners from all over the world. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. I am your host, Erica Hansen. Welcome to this week's show. So I'd like to do a few reminders before we get into the show proper. Um, This show is live, so if you'd like to talk to me uh, while we are on air, please call 1-646-558-8656. That's the United States number out of New York. Your long-distance charges will apply. So also, we have a Zoom meeting ID which is 465-172-882. Again, long distance charges may apply for that. So I'd also like to um, reintroduce Buffy Williams' show. She is my compatriot here at the NHEG radio show. Um, If you'd like to check out her show, her show is on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. Central and 7 p.m. Eastern. Once again, this show here with me is at on Thursdays at 2 p.m. Mountain, 1 p.m. Pacific, and 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I hope you check us, uh, well, check us both out. Um, Buffy has a great show going on, so take a look at her as well. So today's show, um, came to me this weekend, actually. I was wondering about topics for the show and wondering, okay, what can I cover that would be of most to you, most use to you guys? I know we're all stuck inside uh, because of this pandemic, and I really wanted to give you something that's really informative today, especially. So, I was thinking about that, and I was looking at the news, as you do, and I saw a video of the long lines in Wisconsin to vote. Um, The governor tried to get the date of the election moved. Um, That did not happen. So people were, um, the the election um, continued as normal, and people were outside trying to vote. You can imagine this is quite a feat in a pandemic. 
Um, those lines were very, very long. People were spaced six feet apart. Um, but my understanding is that it was an incredibly long wait to vote. We will not know the results until about Monday. So I was thinking about that and thinking about the extra hurdles that people in a pandemic have to go through to vote. Um, if it's, you know, if you prefer to vote in person, that's great. Sometimes there's mail-in voting. But I think it's interesting that this pandemic has possibly shown able-bodied people what we as disabled folks have to go through on a regular basis. So I want to talk about that a little bit and how we vote in this country if we're disabled. Um, again, this is a U.S. perspective. Um, I am from the United States, so this is what I know best. But if you'd like to contact me and talk to me about your voting systems and how you feel as a disabled individual trying to vote or participate in your government, please let me know. Again, we are live right now. Also, my email address is Erica H. That's Erica with a K H at newheightseducation.org. So it's interesting. I, I was thinking about this, as I mentioned, and one of the major issues that I was thinking of was if you don't drive, how do you get to the polls? Um, this is something that affects me particularly because I can't drive. As anyone who's listened to this show long enough knows, my disability precludes that. So it is it is quite difficult to drive or to get somebody to take me to the polls, especially when I was working. This was difficult. Um, a lot of jobs don't let you off for voting. Um, even though, you know, you're, it's a nice idea for people to let you off for voting, but the reality is most employers do not. They expect you to vote before or after go going to work. Be that as it may, as it may, even if you are allowed out of your workplace to vote, it's very, very hard to get to the polls so there are a few reasons or a few ways this can be um, avoided. Let's put it that way. A few services now can help you get to the polls. <clears throat> there are, of course, rideshare programs like Uber and Lyft. I've done this before. It's, you know, convenient, but it does cost quite a bit, at least where I am. A one-way ride to my polling station can cost about 20 bucks. So the ride to and then the ride back, which is 40 bucks per completed ride. That's quite a bit, especially if you are out of a job and living on a limited budget, like you know, so many people, disabled people are especially if you're on like social security or, or something. Also there, of course you can take the bus as well, but again, this is depending on if the bus happens to go by your 
polling place and it's convenient. My bus does not. That's why I ended up taking an Uber or having friends go with me. Um, sometimes I'm very lucky in that I have friends and we usually go vote sort of as a group. <clears throat> it's one of the things that I find very fortunate in my life. But if you do have to ride the bus, so, but again, depending on your location, you may not even be able to get to your polling place or your polling place may take two or three buses to get to. That's a long ride. That is at least a couple hours. If you have to take about three buses, at least where I am, it may be different in more populous states. Um, somewhere like New York, you may be able to get somewhere easily, more easily on a bus than you would here. Um, but again, it's difficult. It's can be wearing. I know that when I ride the bus, it can take a bit of energy out of me, just being in close confines with people. Uh, especially now with COVID-19, um, being such a presence, that's also another consideration. If you are voting recent or going to vote recently, um, you know, in this time frame within the next few months, that's something to consider. Um, with the primaries finishing up pretty much, we vote in June here. It's quite a ways off. If you are like me and your state votes late, that's another consideration. Do you want to take a ride to your polling place with a whole bunch of other people in a close confined? Um, is that something that you, you, you know, you want to do? So again, with the bus, it may not make it to your polling location. It may take several buses to get to your polling uh, location. Considering the pandemic going on right now, is that something you want to do as far as being in a, in a large group on a bus in close quarters? Um, you know, and it's, it's something to think about, uh, especially since bus routes, at least I know in my state, bus routes have been limited um, to, to, of course, limit the exposure to COVID-19. So that's another factor to take in if you intend to take the bus to your polling station. So again, getting transport to and from the polls, that's the one, one of the major issues we face as disabled folks, um, especially if we don't, if our state really doesn't have an alternative means of voting other than in person. There are a couple other um, barriers to us voting though, it's, and I'll discuss those a little bit right after this break. So I hope you stick with me and I'll talk to you on the other side of the break. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might've even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group, educational resources to help reach your goals. Welcome back 
to the show. So you've made it to the polling place. That's great. You're here. What happens now? One of the other things I've run into when I try to vote is that the polling places are inadequately equipped to handle uh, voters with disabilities. One of those things is the visual impairment issue. If you're blind or, you know, hard, hard of seeing in any way, a lot of ballots are still printed on paper. At least mine are in my state. Some other states are a little bit more up to date, I guess is how I would say it. Um, but if you are visually impaired and your ballot is printed on a regular sheet of paper, of course that can prove difficult. I know that some poll work, the poll workers are allowed to assist you in, in certain ways, but I don't think they are allowed to actually fill out the ballot for you. So there's that. So, you know, um, they can also be, ballots can also be visually represented, represented, represented. Wow. COVID-19 isolation hasn't been doing good things for me. Visual um, ballots can be represented also on machines. That's another thing that happens. So these machines, you of course, if you're not visually impaired, they're pretty easy to use. But if, if you are, then it gets really difficult here. Um, there are there are disabled voting machines. I've not had to use one, so I don't know exactly what they entail, but they are voting machines for those that are disabled. There are a couple of problems though. The first is that there's at least where I am, there is only one voting machine for the disabled compared to about like five for the non disabled. So, we may be waiting in line longer because there's only one option for us as opposed to five um, options for able-bodied people. That's really, I mean, I understand the idea that states may not have the resources to provide more voting machines, but I think it's something that should be looked at. We should have at least the equal amount of voting machines as an able-bodied person, um, at least the same amount as of choices. So here's, here's another thing as well. Um, the <clears throat> U.S. Election Assistance Commission does say you may ask a poll worker to assist you in voting or bring someone with you. Now, I see a couple issues with this as well. Um, if you bring someone with you, even if it's, you know, your best friend, a really close family member, something like that, is your vote really private? If somebody else is helping you and is aware of who you're voting for, say helping you fill in the little ovals or hit the right um, choice for Supreme Court or something, you know, how private is that? Even if you're really close to the person that you bring with you, how, again, there, there is an invasion of privacy there. 
whether intentional or not. And that is something that, again, needs to be looked at. I don't know a solution for that. I really don't. Um, I am hopeful, though, that if, you know, minds are put together on this, there can be a better system. So, also, um, the EAC site says that the poll workers are allowed to help the disabled with the accessible voting machine, but it is unclear whether they can help you with a regular ballot. So is the, the voting machine that is accessible to the disabled, is that the only thing the poll workers can help you with, or can they just help you with regular voting? Again, this, this uh, goes back to the issues I had with disabled people waiting in long lines for just one machine. If disabled folks could use some of those other machines, then it would be um, really to great advantage to us. But again, what can the poll worker do? What are they allowed to see? Again, there's that privacy issue. Um, what is that poll worker going to see? You know, do they don't have really a right to see who you're voting for so that you run into another wall. Right now we're going to pause for another break and we will, I'll come back to you with some other issues that need to be thought about as far as the disability community and how we vote and what can be improved. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School, the world's fastest growing video-based self-paced teacher-supported, fully accredited online school that's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at svhs.co. Welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. I am your host, Erica Hansen. We've been discussing barriers to voting for the disabled community. If you'd like to hear about my other thoughts and other ideas, please um, see the first part of this episode. It will be up on our website shortly at newheightseducation.org. So again, check it out there. So let's continue with our um, with our discussion on you know barriers for disabled people on voting. So I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but long lines with few, if any, chairs. Most poll uh, polling is done in things like gyms, maybe churches, very large, wide spaces to accommodate a lot of people, which is great, which is wonderful. But every time I've been into my local polling place, there haven't been many chairs, if any at all. And due to my cerebral palsy, it's very hard for me to stand for long periods of time. If this happens to be a popular election, like say the general election um, in November, and there are a lot of people in a very long wait, I, there's, there's nowhere for me to sit. And it really puts a strain and causes my legs quite a bit of pain to just stand there 
um, I mean, what, but what are my options? Go home, you know, after taking all these, you know, after trying so hard to get to the polling place in general, um, okay, so I stand there for several hours in pain, waiting to push a button, essentially, to do my civic duty, as it were. You know, last time there was a major election, I voted at a university. I did not vote at my regular polling place. The reason for that was that the bus happened to be going to the university. So, and I knew that there was a, a polling place set up there. So it was convenient for me. Because it's a university, they have it set up for students to have places to study or relax. So that place did actually have quite a bit of seating for people who are waiting. And it was a long line, but I can tell you, I really appreciated that seating. And it makes me think of um, my fellow, you know, people who, who might have something like a chronic illness, like MS or um, COPD, where they really do need to sit more than stand um, in order to, you know, make it to the voting booth. And I think that's something that really needs to be looked at. I don't think it would cost too much to have a line of chairs rather than having people stand in a line. But I, I'm not sure what, uh, you know, what different states are implementing at this point. So... <sighs> These, these make it, these barriers make it difficult for disabled people to vote, which is unfortunate because we can be, well, we are one of the most vulnerable communities in the United States, and it is really in our best interest to be able to vote um, so we can have our voices heard. And I think that if the states made a few, you know, simple changes, things would be a lot easier for the disabled community. There is a bill going through Congress right now. I believe it's attached to the stimulus bill that is suggesting that we open up mail-in ballots for the entire United States. Some States do have absentee voting. Some states do have mail-in voting. My state has both. Um, my state also has early voting as well. So that's another option for disabled folks. A couple of things I wanted to mention about the uh, mail-in voting. Ultimately, I, I think... Personally, I think it's a good idea. I do think that this, whatever system we put into place needs to fix a few issues, though, that voting by mail can have. So the major concerns uh, with voting by mail are, again, issues with confidentiality and fraud of voting by, by mail. You know, somebody can get your ballot and turn it in or again see see who you voted for that's the other issue is they can i don't i don't know if you misplace your ballot or 
if somebody breaks into your mailbox, then they can definitely find out who you voted for. Um, your vote can be replaced by somebody else. You know, somebody else can alter that ballot to reflect whatever they want. That's another issue. Um, again, the confidentiality, you know, is your, does your, is your vote private if it goes through the U.S. mail? How private is it really? That's interesting to, to contemplate. Um, there could be um, counting errors by those that receive the voting results and end up counting the voting results since this would be a paper system in some ways, it would be safer than doing it online. However, again, it's a paper system. Charitably speaking, um, ballots get lost, get, ballots get miscounted, ballots get, but, you know, ballots can get changed. What if the person you have counting the ballots is off by one vote? Well, there are some elections that have been decided on one vote. So that can be a real issue. So I think ultimately voting by mail can be a good um, solution, but I think there needs to be better safeguards put into place before it's implemented um, in order it, in order for us to be safe, you know, or implemented statewide. Because like I said, state other states do have vote by mail options, such as my, like my state does. So I hope everybody found this really informative. I thought it was a good topic to bring up now, especially because um, we are heading into the primaries. And then of course, in November, we will be voting in the general election. Everybody stay safe. Stay six feet apart, stay inside, and stay healthy. I'll talk to you next week. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings. Other banks go out of their way to make redeeming credit card rewards needlessly complicated, like how they require minimums or force you to use your rewards before reaching some arbitrary expiration date. But Discover isn't like that. With Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount, at any time. So you'll never have to jump through hoops. Unless you're like a trapezist, then by all means, go right ahead. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply.